0: Doing a series on uh, that we've been doing a series on building stronger homes, stronger uh, families, and today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters one and two. Uh, and, and this is what Genesis one and two. Let me let me just say this on the front end. Some of you, some of you this morning, for you believing the Bible is a simple thing. You've been believing the Bible for years. You believe it's the word of God. I'm, I'm in that category with you. Some of us here today. Uh, we may be a little bit undecided about what we think or what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God, what we believe about humanity, what we believe about sexuality or gender or marriage are all those different kinds of things. But one thing I want you to understand is that all of us look for truth and we look for it somewhere. Some people look for truth from within. Uh, I look for truth from above. Okay. I believe that God has broken into space and time. I believe that God created all things. I believe he created you. I believe he created me. And I believe that God has spoken to us. For me, uh, embracing and understanding the Bible, the more I study it, the more I'm absolutely convinced of how true it is. You know, the, the Bible was written over a time frame of about 1,600 years. It was written by 40 different authors. It was written on three different continents in three different languages. It's a collection of 66 books but in those books, there, you can look at it as just a collection of stories and just a lot of moralism and stuff like that. Or you can see, I feel like, something that I have seen as I've been reading through it. And that's this, that the story of the Bible is just that. It's a story. It is one story. It is the story of God. And yet yeah, there are many stories in it, but all of those stories are interwoven together. Kind of like a really good novel. And it's woven together in a way that, that, that is pretty fantastic because what we learn as we read through the Bible is that God created all things good. In fact, as you read through Genesis 1, you're going to read there and it's going to say, God saw that it was good. And it says that six times. And then it says, God saw that it was very good. And God created all things good, but suddenly everything went wrong and crazy in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, sin entered God's good creation. And with sin came suffering, and with sin came death. But by the way, if you read through the Bible and you get to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, guess what? God restores His creation and he makes all things good again. And Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 20 is the story of how God is redeeming his creation and how God is redeeming mankind. And so it's not just a collection of stories. It is one story. And one of the things that that, that just drives me, I mean, uh, to this, this place of I, I cannot abandon what I know to be true is that is how could you ever get a collection of 66 books by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages over a 1,600-year time frame and get that kind of um, of of woven-together storyline? I believe in it we see the mind of God. There's an intelligence behind the design of Scripture. Um So you may or may not believe that, and if you don't believe that, I want you to know that we love you. You are welcome in this church, and you are welcome to be in process. You are. You're welcome to be in process with us. But I just kind of want you to know where we're coming from. Um, I want to look at Genesis 1 and 2, but before I do that, Joy said I needed to tell you a story. So this is the story of the Genesis. You know what Genesis means? Rich, what does it mean? Yeah, it's the story of creation, story of birth, okay? The story, the genesis of Joy and Gary. Can I tell you about this? Some of you have heard a little bit about this before. I met Joy when she was 15 years old and I was 25, and it was immoral to think of anything else except that she was a really sweet girl. Uh, Over the next year, I got to know Joy, and I just thought, man, this young gal is, like, fantastic. I mean, I saw in her a love for God. I saw in her a, a joyful spirit that so many of us in our church appreciate. And and I remember I'd been dating one of her teachers that later I found out Joy didn't like. And and I was dating one of her teachers, and but I was talking with Joy's mom. And I said, you know what? I said, Sylvia, your daughter is fan- she's just incredible. I mean, you guys have done a fantastic job of raising your kids. And uh, I, I said, you know. If Joy was like five or six years older, I'd marry her. And what I meant by that is I really wanted to marry someday. I wanted to be able to marry someone who had that kind of a joyful spirit, who had that kind of love for God. That was the kind of person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. But I didn't think anything more about it. That was just a little conversation. But Sylvia, Joy's mom, she she wasn't freaked out by it. She understood what I was saying. She understood it as a compliment. That was when Joy was 16. When Joy was 18, I got a phone call from Joy's mom. Some of you know this story. I got a phone call from Joy's mom. Actually, I got a bunch of calls from her mom, but she wouldn't leave a message on my recorder. So it's 1030 at night. I was watching Johnny Carson. I'd just gotten home. I use a recorder because I'm not there. I mean, I work with high school kids. I'm gone every night of the week. That's just what I did. And uh, so I get home, 1030, phone call, and I'm like, Who's calling me at 1030? And by the way, who was it that was calling me and hanging up and not leaving messages? That was back when, you know, answer machines, you'd go through the entire message again and again. And so I I, I pick up the phone, kind of a little perturbed and wondering who it was. And the person on the other end of the line is Joy's mom. And Joy's, at that time, Joy was dating a young man named Tim and Sylvia did not like Tim, all right? Is it okay to say that in church? Uh, Sylvia did not like Tim, and Sylvia believed that if there was any way that I would be interested in Joy, that Joy would drop Tim, you know, (laughs) like a bad habit, okay? So what she asked me is, she says, Gary, is there any way that you could be interested in Joy? Now, at this point in time, Joy's 18, and I'm 28, and I'm thinking, you know what? This is barely legal. Okay? It's barely legal. It just doesn't feel right. And I said, "Well, Sylvia, I'm, you know, it's like how do you answer mom when she asks you, "Can you be interested in her daughter? She's 10 years younger than you?" I mean, how do you respond to that? If you say, "No, I'm not interested in her," it's like, "Well, what's wrong with my daughter?" You know? If I say I am interested, it's like, "What? Are you a pervert?" So, so I'm like there's no right answer to this this question. So I I don't know exactly what I said, but it was something like this. You know, I think Joy is fantastic. One day I want to marry a gal just like her, but she's kind of like a little bit young for me. Okay? Try to be nice about it. You know, just be nice. So uh, that was 18. Uh, When Joy was 20, I ran into a buddy of mine, Randy Creech, who also knew Joy. And uh, Randy had run into Joy in Dallas. And, uh, and, and so, um, uh, we were talking he said, Hey, Gary, have you ever thought about asking out joy? And then he said this, he said, you know, she's not 16 anymore. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, well, she's 20. Okay. And, um, but he said that to me. And then, uh, from that, that was probably in January of two of 1991. That was in January of 1990, January of 1990. Actually, it would have been in December because you were at the Christmas conference in Dallas. And so uh, the, the following August, Joy and I went out for the first time, and we began dating. Uh, in October, I was living in San Diego. She came out for a visit. She was staying with some friends of mine, um, a, a buddy of mine, Jeff, and his wife, Mickey Holmes, down in, in uh, San Marcos. And uh, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Jeff had met... Uh, joy, and then joy went in the other room, and Jeff looked at me, and he said, marry her. And, but it was one of those things where he said, marry her, like, and if you don't marry her, I'm going to beat the snot out of you. Because Jeff knew me well, you know, and it was like he, I think Jeff kind of had a sense of, you know, I mean, right or wrong, and we were kind of like brothers, and he was like, you know, you you just got to get your head screwed on straight, you need to meet a, a nice young woman, you need to get married, you know, you're you're here. You just need to move on with your life, kind of that kind of a thing. And so, um, and so we continue today. We got engaged in February of 91. We got married in uh, May of 91. And so we were engaged for about three months. Now, uh, just to get really uh, personal, uh, Joy and I, um, we, waited, we waited until we were married to make love for the first time. Some of you are like Gary. Keep that to yourself. I'm sorry. We waited until uh, we were married to make love for the first time. And to be honest with you, I'm glad we did. I am. I'm glad we did. And uh, what I can tell you is this: is that it was fantastic. Is that okay to say that? It's okay to say it was fantastic making love with your wife for the first time. It was. It was just. It was fantastic. It, it was just. There's no, you know, no other way to talk about it. And and, and you know what? I would say, uh, it's been 28 years now. It's still fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic today. Uh, I love making love with my wife. I do. And um, there's no shame in it. I don't believe sex is dirty. I don't believe there's anything to be ashamed of. I I think we're adults here. We can talk about what the scriptures teach. and And see, here's the thing is, the world is unashamed. The world is unashamed to talk about sex. But in church, sometimes we're very uneasy with it. Now, there's something really turned around about that, okay? Because, see, what the world takes pleasure in is a different kind of sexuality. See, typically, when you see it portrayed in the world, it's typically not a married couple. By the way, I think Satan will do everything he can to get two people to sleep together outside of marriage. And he will do everything he can to keep two people who are married from making love together. Let me say that again. I believe Satan will do everything he can to get two people who are not married to have sex. And I believe this Satan will do everything he can to keep two people who are married from having sex. And what happens is we become partners with the wrong person in making those things happen. Okay? So I, I, I believe this is something that needs to be spoken to. And I'm not going to walk on eggshells about what the Bible talks about. Okay? I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm trying to offend anybody. I just think I need to speak to you about what the scriptures teach. Uh, I believe that with all my heart. Um, Today, Joy and I, we, uh, we go on a date every Friday, and we spend really good quality time together. And we also have a couple of dates, other dates, every week, if you know what I mean. All right? And we love being together. We love being together as best friends. We love being together as lovers. We love being together as partners in life. We're not ashamed of this. We're not ashamed of this. And, um, and, and, you know, our marriage is not perfect. It's not. Sometimes we have disagreements. Sometimes one of us may say that hurts the other one's feelings. But this is our commitment, is we are committed to working through things, and we are committed to making our marriage better and stronger. And we are learning. We are learning. When we make mistakes, we own it, we try to learn from it, and we try to keep moving forward. Um, Today, what I want us to look at is I want us to look at the biblical foundation for how we should think about sexuality, for how we should think about gender, and for how we should think about marriage, because I believe the genesis of marriage, the genesis of of gender, the genesis of sexuality, begins in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the Bible says this. Hang on a sec. I got to turn there. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. By the way, if you have your Bible out, I'm going to encourage you to open it. If you've got it on a phone, open it. Uh, But in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and I want to look at Uh, Just a couple of verses here in Genesis one. In Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six, the Bible says this: Then God said, "Let us make mankind in our image." So God is conferring with Himself. By the way, this is a foreshadowing, I believe, of what the Bible teaches about a triune God. Okay. Uh, and, And it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. By the way, I've got this in the New American Standard up here. I'm reading from NIV. I apologize for that. Uh, It's probably confusing for you. But, um, okay, so God creates you. I mean, he creates humanity, and he creates us in his image. And he gives us this responsibility to rule over his creation. And when he makes us in his image, he makes us male and female. He makes us male and female. Uh, There's a couple of different, well, actually, there's a bunch of of, um, uh, Bible scholars, Old Testament scholars, Hebrew scholars, who love to focus in on these verses. And it's very fascinating because you'll see this with Derek Kidner. You will see this with John Selhammer, a couple of scholars uh, with uh, Alan Alan Ross, uh, with him as well. And what they do is they, they mark out and they note here that until these verses, gender- And sexuality has been unimportant in the rest of God's creation. But I want to talk about being created in the image of God. It focuses on male and female. What that means is that male and female uh, in human sexuality is very important in the mind of God. Kidner goes on to talk about this. And, and St. does too. And it's really good. Because what they do is they, they, they talk about. It's obvious in the text here. That God is speaking of male and female. In complementary terms. They are not. in You don't have a superior inferior. You have a, a complementary view. Of the two sexes. And in, in, in that famous. That famous. Theologian. Of the 1970s, Rocky Balboa says it this way, I got gaps, she's got gaps. Together, we ain't got no gaps. That they are complementary in their relationship with one another. And this is a part of the biblical vision of sexuality, gender, uh, and that's the the foundation for uh, the the teaching on marriage. Now, okay, okay. let's let's look at it in chapter 2. Let's see what chapter 2 continues to talk about and tell us here. In verse 18, the Bible says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. By the way, this is fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. It says that it is not good. It is not good. Uh, In chapter 1, it's good. Remember, God saw that it was good. 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 God saw that it was good six different times. And then the seventh time it says God saw that it was very good. But now God says it's not good. Uh, by the way, Genesis 1 is the panoramic view of God's creation. Genesis 2 You ever see a movie? You ever watch a movie? Anybody ever watch a movie besides me? Okay, I'm the only one. All right. Okay, I saw two hands. All right. Three of us have watched movies before. Sometimes in movies, you'll have a panoramic view of something. Usually, it's a beautiful landscape. But then sometimes it'll zoom in into one part of the landscape to give you a setting for a story and a storyline. That's what Genesis 2 is. Chapter 1 is the panoramic view of God's creation, that God created all things good, with man as the high point of God's creation created in his, his image, created male and female. Then chapter 2, that's where God zooms in on day 6. And he talks about his creation of the man and his creation of the woman. Verse 18, says, uh, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Very, very interesting. Helper, suitable. Helper, Ezer. Normally used in the Old Testament to speak of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. The helper is never an inferior. The helper is always either an equal or a superior. Now, some of you are going to say, yeah, women are superior to men, all right? Uh, Okay, so, but I would say we are complementary, and I think we'll see that. It says, I will make a helper suitable, suitable, okay? Don't mean to bore you with Hebrew, but I'm going to do it anyway, all right? Ek, neged. Neged is a word that basically means corresponding to. Ek means in front of. When you take in front of and corresponding to and you put those two words together, it means that perfect fit. It is a perfect fit. Fit, meaning that the other is different but similar and it's the com it's the the combination of those two things similar but different that make them the perfect fit for one another it is a compliment comp, what i would call a complementarian view of, of of sexuality that we see in the bible it, it's very very important very important Okay, move down. I'm going to move down to uh, the last part of verse 26. Uh, But for Adam, what happens is God brings to Adam all these different animals. And and Adam is naming the animals. Bull, heifer. Buck, doe. Uh, I don't know. Boar, sow. I mean, he's naming the animals. And what's happening is I believe that what God is doing is God is showing Adam that he is alone. And that what he needs, just as these animals have, is he needs his perfect complement. So um, in verse 19, or excuse me, verse 18, it says, "But for Adam, no suitable helper remember the ek, Neged, no suitable suitable helper was found." So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while he was sleeping. He took one of the man's ribs, uh, and the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, uh, for she was taken taken out of man. Now, some of us are like, okay, what is that? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Okay, and, you know, I mean, remember, you know, it, it, it is a if you were a Hebrew... And you see this awesome, beautiful, babelicious woman. You would say, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's kind of like if you were from Arkansas, you would say it this way. Hot dog. Okay? Hot dog, pour on the relish and pass the mustard. All right? You're saying, man, she, ah, that's my prom date. You know, that's my prom date. That's, That's the girl I want to marry. That's basically what Adam is doing in this text. Uh, That was why, that is why, in verse 24, the Bible says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, there are five things that I could really spend a lot of time on here, but I'm going to hit them fast. Number one, we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. It's it's interesting when you read through Genesis chapter 1, when God makes the plants, he talks in the trees, he says they would, bear, uh, they would bear seed or they would bear fruit after their kind. When he makes the, the, the sea creatures uh, after their kind, the birds of the air after their kind. When he makes the land animals, the, the, the uh, small creatures, the, the uh, beast of the field, the, the uh, livestock, he made them after their kind. But language changes in verse 26. Because in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. See, you are made in the image of God, and I am too. You are made in the image of God, and I am too. Uh, So it's important that we recognize, that we understand that we are made in God's image. Number two, we are made male and female. By the way, in our world today, a lot of people like to make a distinction between sex that you're born with, in gender that you choose. But in the Bible, it doesn't give us those categories to separate. Our sexuality and our gender is chosen for us by God. It's a gift, by the way. It's a gift that we we want to embrace. It's a gift. And what the Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created the man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So he created them alike, human, different, sexuality, together, reflecting the image of God in a special way. You see, God made us to be personal, and he made us to be relational, reflecting the image of God as a personal, relational God that we see reflected in the triune nature of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect relationship, perfect relationship, interpersonal relationship. And God created you and me to reflect the image of God and how we relate with one another, particularly the male-female relationship. So we are, um, uh, he made us male and female. Number three, God made the woman and the man to be the perfect fit for one another. What the Bible says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable. Remember, et neged, et neged? It means that they are the perfect complement. It, it, it's 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 again. It it may be bad grammar, but it's really good theology. When 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 uh, when Rocky Balboa says, you know, uh, you know that that about him and Adrian, she's got gaps, I got gaps. Together, we ain't got no gaps. Okay. Ain't got no gaps. May not be very good grammar, but it's fantastic theology. That God made the man to be the perfect complement to the woman, and he made the woman to be the perfect complement of the man. That God made them male and female, and he made them to be the perfect fit for one another. Number four, we are to approach marriage as a lifelong covenant relationship. Very interesting. Very interesting. You know, what the Bible says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But this, is, this whole text here is all about covenant. Why? Why am I saying that? In Genesis 1, we read again and again about God. In Genesis 2, we read again and again about the Lord God. See, the Lord God is the name by which he revealed himself to Moses when he was entering into a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. The Lord God is a covenant-making God, a covenant-keeping God, and it's the name that he makes and keeps his covenant in. And marriage is a covenant relationship. It is a covenant relationship between a man. It is a covenant relationship between a woman. It is a covenant relationship of the man and the woman, not just with each other, but with God. See, it is very much, um, it is very much three persons that we enter into this covenant. This is has huge implications, huge implications for us in our world today. That, that marriage is a covenant where one man with one woman become one flesh. Okay? Number five. Number five. We are to enjoy our sexuality without shame. And we are to enjoy our sexuality without fear in the context of marriage. There should never, ever, ever be an exploitation of one by the other. Whether it's the man with a woman, which is typically when there's exploitation, typically that's the way it tends to go. But there should never be exploitation between a man and woman in the context of marriage. The marriage should be a place, it should be, I'll just say it this way. Marriage is supposed to be a playground. It's supposed to be a playground. Supposed to be a playground for lots and lots of fun, lots of mutually edifying love play that is pleasurable for both partners, uh, for the husband and the wife. Sex is to be enjoyed and enjoyed a whole lot in marriage. Sex is not dirty. Sex is not shameful. There should be absolutely no fear of exploitation. There should be lots of affection, lots of affirmation. And the Bible encourages us to make love as often as we reasonably can. Now, if you have a struggle with those ideas, I'm just going to ask you to camp out for a while in the Song of Solomon. Just read it a few times. Uh, Maybe get a good commentary on it. Okay? Okay? It's not about God's love for Israel. It's not about Christ's love for the church. It's about, it's about love in the healthiest way, sexual love in the healthiest way between man and woman. And that's what it's portraying. And that's what it's championing. And that's what it's celebrating. Um, by the way, the Bible is a very erotic book. Not every part of it, but there are many parts of it that are very erotic. Parts of Proverbs, all of a of Solomon. We shouldn't be uncomfortable with that. We need to embrace that, okay? Uh, all right, so implications, implications. When you have theology, you have implications, all right? This text lays the foundation for the Bible's ethic, the Bible's ethic, the Bible's comprehensive teaching on the subject of sex, marriage, and gender. Uh, This text and others teach us there is no place for polygamy. Yes, the Bible does report where people entered into polygamous relationships, a man having uh, more than one wife. By the way, in every case, it always creates chaos. Oh, by the way, every time we go outside of what the Bible teaches, we don't experience blessing. We experience chaos. But when we live within what the Bible teaches, we experience blessing and maybe a little bit of chaos. Okay? Um, I'm not going to say if you do everything the Bible teaches, all your problems are going to go away. I'm not going to say that. I have some really good friends of mine. I've had several friends of mine through the years who've struggled a lot with homosexuality, same-sex attraction. And uh, some of these guys uh, have uh, chosen to be monogamous and have chosen to – and we've talked a a lot about these things. But just because you feel something doesn't mean you have to do it. So, for example, I may feel like having sex with lots of women. But that doesn't mean I have to do it. I may feel like losing my temper and berating another person. But that doesn't mean I have to do it. I may feel like after the service is over, going down to Dave's Liquor and getting liquored up. But that doesn't mean I have to do it is that God wants me to be the master of my passions instead of letting my passions be the pastor, uh, pastor, master of me. <laughs> Whatever, you, you're, you're with it, okay? I'm a pastor, so they're the pastor of me. Okay, There is um, so there's no place for polygamy. There's no place for marriage between a man with a man or a woman with a woman. This is what we see in the scriptures. Uh, there's no place for homosexual behavior. By the way, we should not despise a person who struggles with same-sex attraction any more than I should despise a man who's struggling with pornography or a woman who's struggling with pornography. By the way, one in three porn sites are visited by women. Okay, It's not just a man thing. Okay, But um, uh, there's no place uh, for marriage between a man with a man or a woman with a woman. There's no place for homosexual behavior. By the way, there's no place for despising people because of their struggles. Uh, there's no place for adultery. There's no place for premarital or extramarital sex of any kind. There's no place for pornography. There's no place for nurturing lustful thoughts about other people Uh, there's no place for easy divorce and a man walking out on his wife or a woman walking out on her husband there should be a lot of love play in marriage sex should never be withheld from your spouse as a weapon sex should never be withheld from your spouse as a weapon sex should never be seen as a burden and a duty but as a joy to embrace and enjoy with our spouse. Sex is not dirty. It's not shameful. It is wonderful. It is to be guarded. It is to be protected. It is to be saved within the context of marriage. And as I said earlier, marriage is supposed to be a playground for lots and lots of fun, mutually edifying love play that's pleasurable for both the husband and the wife. Sex is to be enjoyed and enjoyed a whole lot in marriage. The Bible encourages us to do it often. Folks, let me just say something to you. In this room, and I probably should have said this on the front end. I didn't do it, and I apologize for that. There is a lot of hurt right now in this room. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of frustration. All of us have a story. Uh, Some of us have had our own failures, things that we're not proud of, things that we really don't want to share with anybody. All of us have our own struggles. And what I want to say to you is that God does not hate us for our failures. God loves us in spite of our failures. You see, what God did and what God does is he didn't just stay up in heaven in his little cul-de-sac of happiness and holiness. No, he abandoned that for you and for me. See, our God is a God who redeems. Our God is a God who forgives. Our God is a God who wants to free us and liberate us. And I believe God does that. I believe our God is a God who wants to give hope to the hopeless. And he's a God who wants to redeem the brokenness. And I have seen it again and again. I've seen God do it in my life. I've seen God do it in the lives of many other people. And he wants to do it in your life. Today, I would like to invite you, if you've not yet made Jesus your Lord and Savior, to do so today, to come to this place where you recognize that you are a sinner separated from God but that God, because of his great love for you, sent his son to die for you. And that through faith in Christ, you can be forgiven, freed from all shame. And that God can make you a new creation and begin to remake and rebuild your life. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you. Just simple prayer. When I was a boy, I just said, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've sinned against you. Um, I've, I've sinned against you. I, 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 um, I'm lost without you. I'm hopeless without you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I ask you to come into my life, forgive my sins, make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And if you pray that prayer, you will experience a miracle of grace. You may not feel it all at once. Uh, it may happen over time, but I want to encourage you to do that. And if you've made that decision today or if you'd like to talk with someone more about that, can you please let me know? You can either tell me personally, you can text me, uh, you, can, you, can, you can call me, you can email me, uh, but I want we want to give you the resources you need to really help you in your walk with Jesus. Uh, that's what we're about. Let's pray and, and then we'll uh, finish up our worship time today. God, you are a good God, and you made all things good. You made all things good. But God, because of our sin, because of our sin, um, suffering has entered your good creation. Because of our sin, um, pain uh, has entered uh, your good creation. Uh, Death has entered. Lord, you have made all things good, including our sexuality and gender, which is intended to be embraced as a place of blessing. Uh, you, you, Marriage is your idea. And Lord, the only way we can experience your blessing in our marriages, the only way we can experience your blessing in our gender, our sexuality, is when we embrace you and embrace uh, how you've created us. Uh, and so, Lord... Uh, where there's sin, we ask you to help us humble ourselves. Help us to humble ourselves and repent. Where there's humility and where there's repentance, God, we pray for forgiveness and we pray for healing. And Lord, where there is a, still a daily struggle, we just ask you to help us just take one step at a time, one day at a time. And to keep our heart and our eyes focused on you, believing that you are, have made us new and are making us new. And that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.